1: howdy 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 everybody your uh, typical voice of the dollars and cents show here dave simons filling in tonight on at your service on camo x and thrilled to do so Yes, uh, the Dollars and Cents show will be on this Sunday, for those of you who care about that particular subject matter. So plenty to talk about this Sunday from 3 to 5 p.m. right here on The Voice of St. Louis. Of course, we'll, uh, we'll be talking about this latest number that came out today on inflation. Holy cow, folks. This is getting to be real serious stuff now. Inflation is not going away anytime soon. I still don't believe it's going to be one of these things that will stay elevated up here in this seven, six, seven, eight percent or worse for a number of years. But it I don't see how it's going to come back to around that two to three percent number for a long, long time. It's something that we'll have to live with. It doesn't necessarily mean that the stock market will crash and burn in fact I think the market weakness here recently has been relatively orderly to be honest with you and more than expected through all of this but man oh man folks where has the fed been on this led by Jay Powell it is I know it's so easy okay they're easy targets just like the manager of a baseball team or the head coach of a football team We are always going to do the Monday morning quarterback. That's something that those people know that they'll be subject to when they take that position. It's the same way with the people who are the head of that very powerful body known as the Federal Reserve Board. So Jay Powell, he can be easily criticized. I typically don't jump on that because it's just so easy to do. But this time, I'm sorry. For those of you who listen to the Dollars and Cents show, you know that I've been on this for, gosh, going back to last spring, when I said it was probably time for the Fed to start reducing their easy money policies, specifically through this bond buying program every month. But they just kept doing it and kept doing it when clearly the signs were that we were starting to get the early indications of of some inflationary pressures. But I guess they just thought, oh, this will pass here in a few months or a quarter or two once we get through some of these supply chain issues. But man, once inflation starts to take hold, it's hard to get out in front of. So I would have preferred that the Fed be a little bit more aggressive last year. Well, yeah, now they're talking in an aggressive fashion, but it's too late for that. Do you know, even as these inflation numbers come in hot, and the Fed is talking about starting to raise rates next month. Do you know they're still pumping the economy with tens of billions of dollars every month? Why, why can't they just, it's, it's, they get in a program that they, that they articulate and it's like, well, we'll lose credibility if we all of a sudden change our minds. No, you won't. You'll say you got new data now and you need to change your minds so i do this is my biggest worry to be honest uh, someone who does this for a living i don't give into a lot of hyperbole as i think all of you know and i don't uh preach market crashes every time something bad happens because that that just doesn't happen and i'm not preaching that now i i seriously when i hear a lot of the stuff about uh russia invading ukraine yes that would That would knock a little off the market near term, but that's not going to cause a bear market. It just won't. That's already being factored into some of the recent market weakness and the market will right itself. It's this inflation problem that the Fed is way behind is the issue that I'm most worried about. We have gotten more defensive in our portfolios. We have shifted things around. We didn't have a lot in traditional bonds, but we're practically out of them at this point and into other types of investments to act as anchors to our portfolios because we're fearful that the Fed has kind of lost its grip on this thing. There are areas of the stock market that will still do well. So I don't really worry about the broader market in terms of equities. It's more on the fixed income side of things. But man, where has the Fed been? I mean, it's just it's getting a little ridiculous. One of the people I do respect on the board is right here in St. Louis, by the way, James Bullard. I just think he is a top-notch mind, and he actually, uh, I don't think he wants this praise in a way, but I'll still give this to him. He was, more than any other reason, the cause of today's market decline by being honest. So he was interviewed today, what he thought about today's inflation numbers, which came in hotter than expected, and the expectations were already for some pretty hot inflation data. So Bullard was interviewed and said, hey, what do you think? What's the Fed going to do? And he said, "Uh, yeah, I'm paraphrasing here. Yeah, I know that it's expected that uh, rates will be raised a quarter of 1% next month at the next Fed meeting, but uh, I wouldn't be opposed to a half of a percent. Whoa, double what maybe the Fed had been hinting before? Oh, he wasn't done yet. Bullard went on to say, yeah, I could see a full 1% increase by July. And the stock market went, whoa, okay, man, is the Fed really going to tap on the brakes that hard? And then we went from what was a small gain at the time to over a 500-point decline in the Dow. Now, again, it was very orderly. There was no panic here. This wasn't crash proportions. But it tells me that the weakness that we've been experiencing here this year is not over. I'm okay with that. You need to have some resets here. But this is, I want to get into some of these inflation numbers because here's what's happening, my friends. The divide between the haves and have-nots in this country is growing wider and wider. And it's because of the so-called good intentions by those who are supposed to have the backs among those who are lesser than on the lower ends of the income rung, the lower ends of the net worth statements in this country have been harmed the most by Fed actions here in recent years. And really, you have to go back 40 years. The Fed has become much more active in the last 40 years. And over time, they've had more of their eyes on what the stock market does when that's never been one of their mandates. But that's how they're judged by a lot of folks. And so they are more in tune to it, not all of them, but typically the heads of the Fed and, and people who have their ears are, and that's become a bigger piece of, um, of the data points that they, that they view on a regular basis. So let me ask you this, what do Donald Trump and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, have in common? You're probably thinking, Dave, are you really going there? I thought you don't like to, like, get too political. No, no. Hear me out here. What do Donald Trump and AOC have in common? Now, yes, I'm not that clueless. I am not going to dig into the pure politics of this. So hear me out. I want to make this more of a socioeconomic issue. So that gets us back to those two names, Trump and AOC. So what do they have in common? Well, they have both risen to power and influence in recent years by tapping into very populist themes. Now, yes, in very different ways, of course, right? Different sides of the populism coin, but they have effectively riled up their bases by exploiting Oh, a lot of the angst that a lot of Americans are feeling these days on both sides so typically it's one side or the other that's getting all riled up about what's happening well now it's both sides and those are just two of the number of politicians I'm just using two of the more high-profile names but two of the names that have really done a pretty good job of tapping into their respective bases in in sort of a populist way and a lot of that has to do and I'm just going to Point one, there are a lot of different things we can point out, obviously, the differences between the two. But the similarity here is the populist theme, and one of that has to do with the income and wealth inequality that's outraged both sides of the political fence. And we get to inflation now that is really going to cause a divide. So I've got some numbers to drive this point home when we come back, and part of that is also... How this country has been treated economically by those in control during the pandemic. Stay with us.
0: We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch.
1: 920 in St. Louis. Dave Simons filling in tonight. Happy to be here. All right. So this uh, issue of inflation, who's most impacted? I don't think it should surprise anyone that we would say the people on the lower end of the income scales. Because the necessary items that they need to, to maintain just the basic living standards are the items that have risen the most in price. So when you look at gas prices, oil, used cars, gas utilities, and food like meat, fish, poultry, eggs, I'm reading this right off the latest uh, report, out of all the, the basic items and services, goods and services that we buy, those four that I just mentioned have risen the most due to inflation. So we've seen gas rise more than 40% over the past year, 40%. Used cars also up about 40%. I've seen sometimes numbers as high as 60 and 70. That's a national average, about 40%. Gas utilities up 24%. The combination of meat, fish, poultry, eggs, the average increase there is close to 13%. Folks, those are all non-discretionary items, we call them. These are the things that people have to buy. You have to warm yourself in the winter. Most people need some transportation and may not be able to afford a new car, so they go and look at used cars. Well, those things have skyrocketed up in price. We know about you know putting gas in your car just to get to work food on the table now let's look at the other end here the things that have risen the least amount in price transportation so that's transportation is it includes not just uh public transportation of course but that's getting on an airplane and flying somewhere that believe it or not is even getting on a boat and going somewhere So because of the pandemic and a lot of people there for a while who were afraid to travel like that, prices were kept down. They spiked and then they came back down here recently. Uh, Apparel. So clothes. You can make clothes last a little little bit longer. There is somewhat of of a discretionary component to that. And then the other one, food away from home. That's a fancy way to say eating out. Those four have have risen the least, just small single-digit increases, and those are relatively discretionary. We don't have to buy them. So those items that make up the biggest part of one's budget for those who make the least amount have been hit the hardest. Why do we have inflation? I could do an entire show about that. Obviously, I won't bore all of you, but this really is born originally out of decisions to lock the economy down. And then you have this domino effect. I'm not pointing fingers into anyone specifically. I'm just stating a fact that that was the start of supply chain issues, good intentions gone awry. I'm not, again, in the early days, I get that. Like I said, in the first hour, I give grace to some of those decisions that were made early on. But we could have clearly seen at some point, you know what, this isn't really working like we had intended. Maybe we need to soften some of this approach a bit. But man, a lot of these municipalities and states around the country stayed really, really hard on this issue for way too long. And it has created now a bigger divide between the haves and have-nots. Here's another example for you. The percentage of U.S. workers able to work remotely the last couple of years, the people who make the most amount of money tend to work in jobs and in service sectors where they can work remotely, which means they can keep their job and keep their income. Those on the lower scale of income tend to work at places where they have to actually get up, get in a car, put gas in it, go drive somewhere and find out oh, their place is shut down now. Either some local government demanded it, or they can't get the supplies and the goods needed to even fund that particular establishment. So half their workforce has had to be laid off. So people who make $200,000 and above, 73% of those people have been able to work remotely in the last two years. Between 150 and $200,000 in income, 67.5%, 67.5%, basically two-thirds of those folks have been able to work remotely. Let's go to the other end. People who report income of fifty dollars to $75,000, 32% can work remotely. Thirty-five to 50000 only 23%. Twenty-five dollars to $35,000, now we're barely able to get by only 17% of those folks have been able to work remotely. Good intentions, locking things down to try to protect folks, I think can be argued as we get farther away from this and look back and realize it actually harmed a lot more people. Let me repeat, if you've not heard me speak on this before, I am pro-vaccine I am pro-mask. I am pro, I I hate to even use pro-science because that even becomes a political hot potato these days. So do not take me as somebody who is totally against all of these other things. I am not. I believe in that stuff. But I also would like to think that I'm a bit of a realist and looked at practical solutions and say we don't have to have been so heavy-handed for so long that's the key. Just as I started this hour talking about how the Fed stayed too long in their easy money uh, 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 programs has now caused the kinds of inflation that is hurting those on the lower end of the spectrum. And same with working from home. And I'll leave you with this one last item related to this topic, and it gets into the politics of it, which is very interesting. This is no longer just those on the left who say, give us more stimulus money, I didn't think I'd see this, but those now on the right are saying, no, we kind of agree with that. Maybe not in the same percentages, but close. Uh, what poll was this? Oh, yeah, here it is. The Pew Research Center. Recently did a survey. They asked political of all people of all political stripes if another round of stimulus dollars was necessary. The more liberal Democrats, 96%, said necessarily. Only 4% said no. Those are people self-defined as liberal Democrats. Those who said they were moderate Democrats, 90% said, more stimulus, please. 10% said, no, I don't think so. That may not surprise anybody. It's those on the right that I I admit opened my, uh, kind of the eyebrows went up a little bit conservative Republicans, those who self-identify to say, I, I'm pretty I'm pretty far on the right side. Well, do you think we need more stimulus? 56%, a little bit more than half said, yeah, I, th- I think we do. Only 42% said no. Those who said they were in the middle as a Republican, moderate Republicans, 77% said it was necessary. 23% said, no, not necessary. So yeah, the numbers are still widely different. But folks, do you see now why there is no really political capital for a lot of politicians, even on the right to address the deficit issues? To say, no, it's okay, let's let's discuss maybe another round of stimulus when they see surveys like this? I'm not going to take a point here and say one side is wrong or the other side is right. You see the point that I'm making here. It's, that's why I started off the discussion this hour saying, what do AOC and Donald Trump have in common? Both on opposite sides, obviously politically, but they have been able to go into one area of commonality, and that is on economic issues that are really hitting hard for people both on the lower end on the Republican side and the lower end on the Democrat side, and there's where the agreement is, and that is not going to go away. I would say this, we don't, we're don't, we not gonna get into possible solutions at what needs to be done, but I get back to the Federal Reserve, all right? It's a group of non-elected academics. I think they shoulder a lot of the blame here and also members of Congress, but it starts with this group. They're an easy target. I don't mean to be in this big bandwagon of naysayers here, but I have to this time. They are too late. I guess any time is better than no time, right? Let's get on this. Let's end this stimulus. We really need to. And then start to get these interest rates up to maybe choke off inflation a little bit because inflation is not affecting Those folks at the top, they'll find a way. We need to start to close this gap or we, I'll say this, the more extreme voices on both left and right will only grow in number the wider that gap Gets All right, break now. When I come back, I'll tell my personal stories of um, having some interesting, um, shall we say, meetings with the police three times in a matter of months, including one time that landed me in jail. Stay with us. One of the best live shows you'll ever see. Of course, they don't tour anymore with the death of their drummer, Neil Peart, but Rush there. Hey, uh, welcome back. Dave Simons along with you. So um, you, you perhaps have heard this story. Um, a week ago Friday, the New York City Police Department held a funeral for um, their de- one of their detectives, a 22-year-old man by the name of Jason Rivera. He was killed in the line of duty while responding to a domestic disturbance up in Harlem. And another officer uh, was also killed in the shootout, and the suspect was also killed uh, at the scene. But the story, as, as horrific as that was, and then the funeral for that uh, first officer that I mentioned, actually a detective, Jason Rivera, literally thousands of police officers came to pay their respects the streets surrounding the very famous St. Patrick's Cathedral in Midtown, Manhattan. So, of course, a lot of those streets are going to be blocked off. Well, this apparent actress wannabe, I've never heard of her before. She's in her 20s. I don't know her age, but Jacqueline Guzman. She decided that she was going to go on TikTok and express her dissatisfaction that, well, she just couldn't get around the downtown streets of Manhattan because of what was going on, the respects being paid for this detective who had been killed in the line of duty. So she gets on TikTok and says the following, we do not need to shut down most of lower Manhattan because one cop died for probably doing his job incorrectly. They kill people who are under 22 every single day for no good reason, and we don't shut down the city for them. this is a horrible human being. And you wonder what made her that way? How was she raised? What did she see or experience? And I understand, I really do. People who grow up in certain areas and are subject to things that I have not been subject to. That's a very deep discussion and not really equipped for the final remaining minutes that we have on this show, but I get it. People have different experiences and can tell you about things that they're exposed to that most of us have not, all right? Let me put that out there. But to then, for one thing, that's a lie that these New York City cops are killing people every day for no good reason? Why would she even say something like that? so that got me thinking about my own interactions with police which when i was younger was not very good and really not of my own making so it's march of 1984 i'm a 22 year old college student about to graduate from mizzou and i'm driving back to st louis late one night after my bartending gig at a Mexican restaurant in Colombia, And I'm driving a friend who's a native person from Colombia, who I couldn't believe it, but had never been to St. Louis before, even though he grew up just an hour and a half down the highway 70. So I said, man, you're coming with, I'm gonna show you the site. So it was Friday night, he grabbed a couple of beers. I was driving and true story, I'm not drinking. And as we get closer, we're driving through Wentzville, which is where I went to high school and his name's Dan, and I said, Dan, I got to show you where I went to high school. It's right here off the highway. He's like, yeah, I'd love to see it. Now, it's about 11 o'clock at night, so it's dark. Again, it's March. It's kind of chilly. I uh, he, had, he had consumed his two beers. We pulled into the parking lot of Wentzville High School. It's dark, I think there's one light in the parking lot. Of course, it's all empty there, and we got out. We're kind of looking around, he goes, or oh, I didn't even see this. He decides that he had to uh, relieve himself. In the middle of that, cop lights. Like, oh, you got to be kidding. That's when I noticed my friend Dan was taking care of a little business next to the car. Like, oh, great. Public urination. He's going to give us a ticket or give Dan a ticket. I can't believe Dan did this. He could have told me. I would have drove him up over to a gas station over here. Long story short, the cop arrests us both. See, Dan was 20, he wasn't yet 21. He noticed that Dan had consumed a couple of beers. So he got Dan for drinking as a minor. He arrested me for contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Handcuffed us both and off we went to jail. And the whole time I'm thinking, are we on candid camera? I I'm going I'm going to jail because I happen to be with a buddy who's off in a parking lot where nobody is in the dark. Something is weird here. Turned out this was just not a good cop. He just wasn't. And uh oh, got some other audio here. Um he was kind of a Barney Five type. And, uh, we were finally let, we didn't have any money. We couldn't post bail. And I, I think the bail was only like 50 bucks, but we are poor college kids. And this was before the advent of just getting on a cell phone and calling someone. Uh, I did finally convince him. I, I think, isn't the law like, uh, you get one phone call. He's like, yeah, dude, you watch too many movies. I, okay. Whatever. I was finally able to call my mom, but it was in the wee hours of the morning. No one picked up. Uh, we finally got out that, that next morning. And, um, fortunately I, somebody i knew knew somebody who knew somebody who was really upset about it and they they reprimanded the cop for for doing something like that little little heavy-handed the very next night this is a true story the very next night i take dan to the sites of downtown st louis and back then this is when the landing was a happening place for those of us of that age now dan uh i did he, did he have a fake ID? I guess he must have, but he did look older. I, looked tw- I was 22, but I looked 14. Dan was 20, but looked 28. So maybe he just got in. I don't recall that. That really doesn't have anything to do with the story. But because we were poor, and we had only had a few bucks, so we got a couple of beers, we parked off the beaten path down the landing on the northern end of it where there were no lights. Big mistake. As we're walking to our car, we were jumped. They now call it the knockout game. It wasn't called that then, but uh, we were beat. Uh, I was pushed to the ground. I was I was punched in the face, and then kicked on the ground. Somehow, miraculously, we got away without any severe damage. It was three guys, three kids, three teenagers. They chased us as we were running away. How I was able to get back on my feet and start running, I. I It's like my protective angels were there. And Dan, by the way, was on the track team. But it seemed like I kept up with him. So we got there and we found a cop. We explained to him what happened. He, He was basically, what do you want me to do about it? I'm bleeding out of my face. Like, what do you mean? He goes, what were you doing? I said, well, we were parked up there. Why were you parked up there? I'm like, are you serious? We just spent the night in jail because of some guy who wanted to prove a point or he's bored, and, and we were just roughed up, and and the cop even said, you guys, uh, that, w- that was a gang ritual, what just happened to you. I'm like, what are you talking about? Did they ask for any money? No. Yeah. They, they had to score some points. That's what they were doing to you guys. I'm glad to see you here, but we're not going to go find them. I mean, if you want to go to the police stations over here, if you want to file a report, Guys going, I, I I got my beat here. Like, oh my gosh, man. So that was two nights in a row. Now we go later in nineteen eighty-four, in October, I get held up at gunpoint. I this is all absolutely a hundred percent true. At a gas station, held up at gunpoint. I thought I was gonna be shot and killed. I wasn't. He got away with some money, and that was it. Um, that was because I was working at the gas station at 2 a.m. in the morning, the guy walked in and robbed the place. I was then a suspect of an inside job. So there were three incidents in one year where I got to admit, I didn't have a particularly keen idea that the police at that time in my life were there to help me. But I always had this internal like respect and thought that maybe I'm just getting a couple of folks that aren't maybe the better suited for that line of work. And I have come to that conclusion as I've gone through later in life, that yeah, you know what? There are people that aren't suited for a lot of lines of work, including mine. So I hate to be judged by the folks out there who do bad things in my line of work. And I think we need to keep that in mind. I bring that all back to this despicable woman in her 20s who made that claim about the cops shooting and killing people for no reason every day, which is absolutely a falsehood. And I think, what is your personal experience that would make you think that? Or are you just regurgitating that to try to be cool on TikTok? And maybe that's all you're doing. Where I'm someone who went through some times there for a while, got through it, and uh, no, it's not as bad as a lot of you have stories. That's not what I'm saying. But I think we have to remember that in all lines of work, there are, there are bad teachers, there are bad doctors, there are bad financial advisors, and yeah, there's a, a bad cop or two. Um, it's all walks of life. And I'm happy to report, to conclude this, that that woman who said all that has been fired from every club that she was associated with, fired from her acting career. And I don't know where and if she'll ever work again. And uh, hopefully it'll give her a long time to think. We'll be right back. Hey, my friends, it's been a real, real pleasure. As we uh, close out tonight's edition of At Your Service on CAMOX, My name is Dave Simons, and uh, I'll be back on Sunday for what I actually do for a living, and that is discussing investing and economics and all the issues that are impacting the markets uh, these days. I had talked about inflation, and you can bet that will be a central theme on this Sunday show from 3 to 5 right here on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. All right, so it's late January 1969, and this new band, from England called Led Zeppelin, very heavy sounding band, really matched the kind of music that they were putting out. This kind of U.S. deep blues mixed with this new, really hard rock together. It was a very unique sound. It was like the Rolling Stones on steroids. And Zeppelin, the members had just gotten together for the first time four months before. They just started practicing. So they quickly put together an album, they hadn't even released it in their home country yet in the UK when they decided we're going to go tour the US. That's where the money is, that's where a lot of these kids are into this new harder rock even more than the US. So. One particular gig it was one of their first nights. was in Boston, in a kind of a seedier part of of the city. Now, keep in mind, nobody really knew anything about this band yet, so they were only getting these smaller venues with hundreds of people. Can you imagine if you could look back and say, "Yeah, I saw them in uh, Boston in '69." There was about six or seven hundred of us there. It's a true story. So that particular night, they're playing there, and it was packed, but it was seven hundred people. That's as large as this. Place was, and in the crowd that night was a twenty-year-old kid who had hitchhiked from his parents' place in Yonkers, New York. His name was Stephen Tallerico, twenty-year-old kid. And Tallerico could not take his eyes off this other twenty-year-old, this lead singer named Robert Plant, for Led Zeppelin. Tallarico had never. Tallarico had been to a lot of concerts. He was heavily into rock, even the blues a little bit. And he had heard a couple of these songs that Led Zeppelin had put out on the local radio station in New York, and he's like, "I got to see what these guys are all about." He, he saw this, this, this Robert Plant character just take control and own the stage. I mean, he's long flowing Goldilocks hair with his shirt undone and just prancing around and contorting himself like Gumby. And it's like I want to be that guy. And as it turned out, Tallerico fronted his own band back home. They were actually hitting some gigs in New Hampshire and into Massachusetts and in New York and just trying to make it. and Tallarico said, that's the future. That's it. This Robert Plant, he controls it. He owns it. He It's like he's an instrument, despite having this great soaring voice, of course. So Tallarico hitchhikes back home connects with his buddy who's a guitar player and says i think i got the answer i know where music is going man i saw it his buddy happens to be named joe perry now some of you who know old rock and roll have already picked up on the fact oh my gosh is this really happening for those of you who don't steven tallarico decided if we're gonna make it, I can't have Talarico as my name. I, Robert Plant, that's a great, forceful, easy to remember name. So Steven Talarico, all of 20 years old, changes his name to Steven Tyler. He and Joe Perry then get another couple of buddies and form a new band called Aerosmith. Folks, I don't know If any of you have ever heard that story, I just came across it for the first time and I know my rock history. I'm blown away by that. If you think about the serendipitous nature of that, that on the same January 29th, 1969 night in Boston, basically you had the germination of two of the most influential and heavy rock bands ever known in the world all came together that same night in boston and only 700 people were there to witness it have a great night everybody as we live you with a little bit of let's have
0: t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours